Welcome to the Kintsugi Heroes podcast, where we share inspirational stories of everyday people going through different challenges and how they overcome them. Please be aware that the story you're about to hear may have moments of deeply felt emotions and personal experiences. If anything you hear has a triggering effect, please reach out to someone who can help keep you safe. If you love this conversation, please like and share it with your friends so we can continue to share more inspiration and hope to as many people as possible. Now, listen up for our next hero's story. And in this episode, I sat down and talked with Don Matthewson and heard his journey of overcoming massive physical challenges alongside a life of service to other people. Let me set the context. Don is actually a true champion. He's a master's track athlete who's been world champion on three occasions across different age groups. He's received 15 other medals. During his years of of competing, he's completed World Masters Athletics Championships in Finland, USA, France, Brazil, Spain, and Australia. He also holds several Australian and state records across different distances. Not only that, and that's all for running, he also cycles with an early morning group three days a week and supports others with his volunteering. What I loved about Don was his optimism and his courage, determination and passion. And there are many people who can relate to injury, who can relate to pain and setbacks. His is in the form of setting back on a physical level as well as the other setbacks that life threw at him. Nothing was going to deter Don and he's lived a life of grit and courage. He's an inspiration and I finished the conversation feeling grateful and better as a person for having met him. I really hope you enjoyed this story with Don Matthewson. Hello and welcome to another episode of the Kintsugi Heroes podcast. I'm your host, Aveline Clark, and I'm here today with Don Matthewson. Don, how are you today? I'm very well, Aveline, and I'm looking forward to chatting with you today. Likewise, very, very grateful to have you here on the show and uh, having another Kintsugi hero with me. So, Let's get into this because this is about you, of course, not about me. And I'm really looking forward to hearing your story. And and uh, can you take us back to the beginning, maybe, uh, and where you'd like to start? Well, Aveline, uh, I hope I'm not here under false pretenses because I don't feel like a hero, but I do feel like a broken pot sometimes. Um, look, I'm a Queenslander. Uh, don't hold that against me. And my early years growing up were not too flash, really. My mum died when I was 12. I don't have many memories of my mum, hardly at all. Uh, and my dad remarried, and unfortunately I didn't get on with my stepmother very much. So on a whim, the Royal Australian Navy had a new scheme where you could join the Navy as a boy between 15 and a half and 16. And on a whim, I did do that. I joined the Royal Australian Navy. This couldn't happen these days because that would be termed a boy soldier, so the United Nations wouldn't allow young people under 18 to join the Defence Force. Look, I stayed um, 21 years in the Navy and progressed through the ranks. I was a very serious um, young man and boy in the Navy and I wanted to do well. 
and uh, I did do well. And at the age of 24, I passed all my education exams and went to England for two and a half years training with the Royal Navy to become a naval officer. Uh, subsequent to that, I served in a number of ships and establishments and then another year back in England at the Royal Military College of Science doing a master's level course. And during my naval career, there was one point when I had a deep and sort of quite prolonged period of depression, which made me unfit for sea service for a couple of years. And at that stage, I thought my career was over and I was getting help uh, and uh, medication. But I came through that and my career reignited and it didn't hold me back at all. And I was given accelerated promotion to Lieutenant Commander and served in major warships after that time. And now after 21 years in the Navy, I was still young, 36. <laughs> I thought I was old, though. I thought, gee, my life is over. I'm 37, 36, 37. I decided to leave. And one of the reasons for that was that we had a, a disabled child and um, it was probably better for him to have a stable home life. And maybe that wasn't true, at the, but it, I'd felt like that was the case then. And following my naval career, I worked with World Vision, which is an international overseas aid and development organisation, and I started off as the state manager in New South Wales. And in the last six years there, I was the field director for the whole of the South Pacific region, which was absolutely fantastic fun. I would travel to villages in Papua New Guinea, Solomon Islands, Fiji, Vanuatu, Tonga, and I was the director, and it was just a really good thing for me to do. And it picked up on my value set of wanting to help others. Now, I didn't know that so much at the time. I wasn't really into core values much, but I, I sort of, that's what seemed to be driving me there. And after uh, um, 13 years there, I joined a major human resources organisation which was listed on the Stock Exchange, and I was just a senior manager there and then senior executive coach. And it's only recently that I left that. So I work well beyond what might be considered the normal time for working. And I said that in my departing speech. Thank you for allowing me to work well beyond what might be considered normal. Now, I never mentioned my age, Aveline, so I won't. That would just be some people will have to guess. But I was well <laughs> beyond what might be considered the normal age for leaving. leaving. Now, um, it was very important for me to have purpose in my life, so vital, and I loved going to work as a senior executive coach, and uh, I found that tremendously uh, satisfying, mm. helping people get back on their feet and, and uncovering who they are and what their values were. One of my favourite sayings is, well, if you take my advice, I'm not using it. But actually, I didn't give much advice. I listened and journeyed with people. And now, as, a, as someone who doesn't work, I, I volunteer as a mentor with Mentoring Men, which I've been doing really since the start, and I'll, it's tremendous, and I love doing that. And most of the guys I've mentored have been younger, uh, 22, 30, and late 30s, some in careers. Uh, and also, I uh, teach English as a second language to a group of people which is really enjoyable. I've been doing that for many years too. 
and um, I do, I'm on an advisory group for probably Australia's largest disability support employer and I just give advice to the board uh, with others. And I meet a young fellow who has had a stroke uh, weekly, he's early 40s and he's unable to speak now, it's called aphasia, so that's something else that I do. And um, But in my other part of my life, which is very important, I'm, I'm a, a, an elite Masters athlete and I compete internationally and I've been pretty successful at doing that and I've uh, been to a number of countries as uh, World Masters Athletics Championships. And every year I compete in the Australian Masters Championships and have been the Australian Championship champion on a number of occasions uh, in my age. That's impressive. <laughs> that's, that, that's impressive, Don. Yeah. And can I ask, what's your event? Look, I, I'm a bit unusual. I specialise in middle distance, so 1,500 metres is my speciality. 800 metres is probably my second best, although it's just a bit short for me, mm-hmm. and I've never won that event, although later I might tell you about that. And 5,000 metres is also a good event, um, that I've never won in the World Championships but won many times at other times. But I also run 10 kilometres, 10K on the track, and at the World Championships, they're over 10 days, so there are heats, and I do all of those events that I've mentioned. And then on the last day, I run the half marathon. Man, I feel, I, I feel like, yeah, I, I, I'm, I'm in the presence of someone who's just living such a fulfilled life, which is really uh, a, a beautiful, beautiful thing to, to witness and to be. Thank you um, for saying that. It doesn't always feel like that in truth, mm-hmm. but it's nice that you've said something like that. You, Thank you, Don. It, look, you've already touched on a couple of things briefly. Um, first of all, be, having a bout of depression whilst you're in the Navy and being a parent of a disabled son or, or child, sorry, I don't know the gender. Um, yes, that's right. Mm-hmm. I must have known that for some reason. So, is that the challenge that you want to share with me today or is there something else? Look, it's not really that. They were challenges and they're, they're ongoing. Our son still lives with us and that causes, you know, it's a different life for us, uh, taking to things. It's not a bad life and it's something that if you think of a tribe, we have a tribe of friends who have disabled children and we do a lot together. Um, and my depression comes out occasionally from time to time it's never disables me completely or anything like that i know what it is i know who it is and i know one thing for sure that it will get better Mm. soon and i have to Mm. tell myself don't worry in a day or two or maybe this afternoon after a bike ride which I've done this morning, by the way, 30-kilometre bike ride. Oh, my gosh. <laughs> and copy with friends. Uh, no, and I know those things. But, no, really what I did, the adversity that I really want to talk about is regarding my my athletics. Mm-hmm. And these are things that, on reflection, have been more serious than I'd give them credit for. And others have made me aware of the seriousness of them and I'll talk about those if I can. So 
before my adversity struck, you know, what I is that okay to talk to focus on my athletics? Yes, please. Yeah. So adversity. take me back to, you know, I guess to set the scene for us, you know, how old were you perhaps and what was going on for you? Yeah. Look, I've always been a runner and I would say a junk runner. I've done many city to surfs and on my background there, there are three trophies from City to Surf. You can't see them very well, where I won them actually in my age group. Um, and I met a guy who was now my coach and he said, you need to come to the track and train, which I did. And would you believe I realised that I'm not a long-distance runner, I'm a middle-distance runner, and that's where I've done best. And I was competing at the world, my very first World Masters Athletics Championships in Finland in 2009. I was very excited. I didn't know my competition at all then. I've got to know them now. And um, so I didn't know what was ahead of me. I didn't know how I would go. But I thought I would do well. About eight weeks before, I did a hamstring injury, and that really derailed me, but I got over that. Anyway, I won the 1500 metres world championship and I was so excited uh, because that's my specialty event. I'd come third in the 800 metres, sorry, second <laughs> in the 800 metres, and we'd already won the cross country team gold medal, which is the first event over the 10 days. So, three of us first across all Aussies, and we'd already won that. And so, that was my first introduction. And it was a pleasant surprise, uh, and, and quite a surprise, really. Um, the next World Championships were in Sacramento in 2011, so they're generally every two years. Now, in Sacramento, I was primed to, and I had an Olympic coach, would you believe, coaching me uh, online, so I never met him, but he kept me honest. And I thought I was going to do very well. But it's a sneaky American and Spanish person who were well known. And I didn't think I was in their league. But anyway, we won the cross-country team event. That was the first event. So I felt really confident. But in the 1,500 metres, I went out way too fast. And I thought, I'm going to win this. And I was right ahead. And I was running with an English guy. And at the 200 metres before we finished, he died. And I'm in front and I didn't want to be there. At the 100-metre mark, I'm still in front. At 80 metres, lactic acid came in and I started running virtually on the spot. And partially the American, the Spanish guy, and I came third. I'm still getting counselling for that. No, not really. <laughs> I've got over it. <laughs> in the 800 metres, I, I, I came that second there, and I've raced that guy several times since. So I had been world ranked number one, and that's every year you get a world ranking on several occasions in my age group. Then things went bad. So that was on the lead up to it. I was really running well. Just the occasional injury that you get over with massage and stretching. Now, do you want to hear what happened then? Uh, yes. So that was 2009 World Champions, 2011, then mm -hmm. 2013 in Brazil. Now, my times at this stage, and you know who you are because we have a way of looking at our competitors worldwide, and I would have won 
at least the 1,500 metres and 5,000 metres easily. But that wasn't to me to be. Three months before the World Championships, I was doing some push-ups and I always have this saying, "Do if you want to be the best, do one more. That would be my training, do one more lap and because that's the injury lap, isn't it? And I was middle of winter, July, my wife is in Canberra, I was freezing cold, and I do push-ups every day. And But this time I was freezing, I said, oh, now what I'll do, I'll do a lot of push-ups. So I jumped down on the bed and did push-up, 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 and I was straining, and I said, I'll do one more. I got into bed, and my head started pounding with enormous pain, and I knew this wasn't normal. I couldn't take any painkillers because I couldn't get my head back. And I started feeling really bad. And my son, who disabled, was here with me. And I said, Cam, I'm in a lot of pain. I was screaming. I rang my wife in Canberra because I couldn't problem solve. She rang my daughter. My daughter rang the ambulance. And 20 minutes later, Cameron's guiding the ambulance in. And they came in. And I'm in so much pain. And they said, what's your name? And I just was groaning and screaming. And they said, what's your name, mate? And Cameron said, his name's Don. And the ambulance guy said, no, we want him to answer because they wanted to know whether I could say my name. Mm -hmm. And what had happened was I had a brain hemorrhage. I didn't know that then. Um, And most people die before they get to hospital with a a brain hemorrhage. Depends on how bad it is. And as soon as I got in the ambulance, they gave me this wonderful painkillers and within 15 minutes I'm feeling really good and chatting. So that, that's what happened, and um, I went into ICU. I had this wonderful neurosurgeon who was actually an ex-naval surgeon, so we got on really well. He was probably in his early 40s, and we talked about him. He knew people and I knew people. And he came in and he said, look, Don, we've done every scan we can and we can't find the source of the bleeding. Now, this could mean you could die any second while I'm talking to you or it could mean you're going to be okay and we won't, we don't need to operate. He said, and that's the situation. You're going to be fine. So after seven weeks, extreme pain, walking in pain, I had my meeting with him and he said, Don, you now return to normal life after seven weeks. And he said, but I, I said, I want to be running in Brazil in the World Championships, which was about seven weeks after that. He said, of course you can, and you can train as hard as you like as you're not in any danger of having another brain hemorrhage. There's nothing wrong. We've done many scans, and so that's nothing you should worry about. It's just one of those things that happened. So I did, but I was nervous, and I trained hard as I could with seven weeks to go. And he said, but Don... Don't have any high expectations. You've had a major and serious illness and it's taken it out of you, but you can run, and I did, and I came seventh, I think, in the 5,000 metres. <laughs> People were lapping me, which was very embarrassing. That's never happened before, and I did 10,000 metres. And I wrote him a healing report and told him how I went, and he was absolutely amazed and happy. Mm. And my coach and many of my athletic friends, when I was in Brazil on the start lines, they said, Don, I'm getting Yeah. <laughs> For some yeah. reason, it's brought up some emotions. But yeah. they said to me, you're on the starting line and that's the major achievement. You're mm-hmm. here with us. 
And that was my yeah. lesson to learn from that. It wasn't that I had to win. I wanted to win. But I couldn't. It was just impossible. Mm. So that was event number one. <laughs> wow. Did but you I have any fear? That. I'd love to know, Don, did you have any fear as you stood on the start line? No, I didn't. But what I was afraid of when I started training, because I had a friend who'd had a very similar subarachnoid um, brain hemorrhage. Um, now, because it wasn't a stroke or anything, it was just a burst blood vessel or something, and it wasn't really attributable to this push-ups. It's just one of those things. Right. And he had a really bad time with it. He said it took him months and months to get back. But I was back into running after seven weeks and the coach was pushing me a bit, but I was a bit afraid to go fast. So I didn't run the 1,500 metres in Brazil. Mm. But that enabled me to my Spanish friend who I'd already raced and, and my American friend who is a very good friend now and we've communicated a lot. They both hugged me and um, and many of my friends just said, it's so good to see you here. Now, I didn't have that thought, but that was meaningful, that they were glad that I was there. So that was a learning for me. Mm. And so that was Brazil. And one year later, 2014, um, I do ride a lot too, cycle a lot with a group, and I was flying with a group in a peloton. The guy in front of me stopped more or less suddenly. I missed him, but the guy behind me hit me, and I was went flying onto the ground at 30 k's, and I was in a lot of pain. I didn't know what was wrong, and uh, uh, they called the ambulance because I they stood. I said, "Stand me up, stand me up." I stood up and fainted, and they put me mm. down. Is this on the road? Is this somewhere it in Sydney? Like, yes, it wasn't on the main road. I was on the bike path. Mm. Uh, but I came down very hard and I broke my pelvis in two places. So off I went to hospital again, ICU. And the intern doctor, that's a, a younger doctor, said, Don, you've broken your pelvis in two places. And she explained what that was and she said, you'll need a hip replacement and um, you've broken a couple of ribs. And she said, you only need a hip replacement. And I did not react well. And I think I was probably, again, in a lot of pain and on pain meds. And I said, mm. what you've just told me is devastating to me. I'm a runner. I'm not just a runner. I run competitively. And I don't just run competitively. I'm a world champion and I need to get... Now, I know that doesn't sound humble, but I was giving this young doctor <laughs> a bit of a serve and she said, oh, look, I'm going to have to talk to the boss about you. He was the orthopedic surgeon. Mm -hmm. So when I saw him, I lucked out again with a wonderful, just like my other neurosurgeon, and he said, show me the x-ray, show me the scan, and said, look, no surgery is needed. There is a bit of a lip there, but you just keep running. And so three months off, and he encouraged me, and there was a young tra doctor tra trainee when I went back to see him, and he introduced me to the training, said this guy's a world champion runner and he's going to be back to running and he'll never get arthritis in that spot. So I never have and that's never been a problem <laughs> for me. So I did compete at three months off, come back slowly with exercises and exercise physiology and I take all those things very, very seriously. I don't do things in half measures. Mm -hmm. So when I went to the exercise physiologist, I did everything that he wanted me to do and more. And um, 
So that was 2014. And the next thing was 2015, the World Masters Athletics Championships in Lyon in France. And this was one where I was going to have my big comeback. My American friend was there. Mm-hmm. And <laughs> your Spanish friend? friend? He was there, but he he's sort of not doing so well. I beat him. Uh, mm. He only ever beat me once. <laughs> and so the World Championships in, in Lyon in France, a year after the uh, broken pelvis and coming back, but I came back quite quickly and uh, was able to do very well training three months later. Now, in 2015, I did win the 1500 metres, my specialty event, by quite a long way. I beat a, a British guy and um, who was the third guy come third? Um, oh. Oh, an American, but not, not my American friend, another American. Mm-hmm. And they were very tall men. Both of them were well over six feet. And at the start line for the 1,500 metres, I am query very small. I'm 52 and a half kilos. I'm, not, I'm about 170 centimetres. And I felt intimidated by these two tall guys. But I beat them easily. <laughs> And when I was on the podium, when you come first, the set the bottom podium, the winning podium elevated. It went mm. zoom, and I was oh, now I was more at their level. And I said, "You don't look so tall now." <laughs> <laughs> and um, so that was Leon, and I came third there in the eight hundred meters to another guy that had paid, uh, won, uh, raced quite a few times, and then. Um, the next World Championships were in, in, in Perth in, in Australia. So mm-hmm. they just had them the next year because they wanted to line them up with another event. So just usually they're two years, but this was in 2016. And at the end of 2015, I was diagnosed with prostate cancer. Yeah. And Rock said, uh, you've got prostate, you need to have surgery. And he said, well, we're going to wait and we're not going to do it until after the World Championships in Perth. So again, I had this doctor who said, no, you, we'll, do, we'll fall in with you, not giving me advice but giving me ability to do the things that they obviously felt were serious for me. So I went to, to Perth and I'm not really a cross-country runner. I do okay. But the first event was the cross-country World Championships and I won it, the world, the cross country. And I was so cockahoot. And I was interviewed uh, on Channel 7 in Perth. Now, I didn't know I was being interviewed by this young Juno. She had a mobile and asked me questions and said, Oh, isn't it wonderful that you're here with people you know? And what's the social life? Why do you do this? Is it for social reasons? I said, No, it's not. I come here for one reason. And Abilene, what do you think I said then? I've got no idea. Well, I, the first thing that came to mind was to win or to better yourself. That's exactly right. I said, no, I'm not here for that. I'm mm. here to win. Mm. And then I felt, oh, I've said something. I don't, shouldn't say that. 
I said, well, now, what winning is really, and that's why I do come here. And every time it's been my sole purpose, mm. sorry, main purpose, not sole. Mm. And then I knew I was saying things that weren't very humble. I said, but look, it is very important for me, the social life. And I said, see that person over there? We communicate regularly. He's from the US. See that one? And so I got myself out of it. And it was on TV that night and I didn't see it. <laughs> but I'm still embarrassed about that. And we had our, my photo in the paper uh, as well because that's Western Australia. It would never happen in Sydney. <laughs> <laughs> and then I came back and had my surgery and, again, that meant time out. Uh, but it hasn't really worried me. And um, my neurosurgeon is uh, very – he's a runner too. <laughs> Sorry, not neurosurgeon, it's prostate. It's a different Prost- surgeon. Yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> And I was seeing him every six months and he'd be saying, I'm injured, and I'd say, what are you doing? You're stretching. So that was another very positive event for me. And, again, I didn't pay much attention to that cancer Mm. in 2016. Now, last year, what was that, 2021, Mm -hmm. last year, Mm. I had another event. I had excruciating pain in my lower back and I couldn't walk. I kept falling over and with with pain and I didn't know what was wrong but I thought this is it my running days are over this is bad arthritis in my lower back I was getting physio and all sorts of things then I had an MRI and it showed there was a growth growing right on my nerve roots in my lower back and again I went to a neurosurgeon and he he said look um I've looked at your MRI and you can't get to see this neurosurgeon he's the top guy how, how did you get to see him? That's a good question. Uh, my sports physician, he said, now this is what it is. And I said, I want to see uh, Dr. Brown, Brian Owler. He said, I'll never get to see him. He's got months. I, and I said, well, just send my MRI to him. Friday evening, he sent the MRI. Five o'clock, I'm on my way home. My phone rings. I couldn't take it. It was the surgery, Brian Owler's surgery. So that was Monday morning. I rang them and they said, Professor Ayala is looking at your MRI. 20 minutes, I'm going to ring you back. And 20 minutes later, they rang him back. He said, "We, Brian, uh, Professor Ayala wants to see you tomorrow, which is Tuesday. So just a few days after him seeing it, I went into him on Tuesday and he showed me the damage that my nerve roots and the nerves, he just, he said, your nerves are not working. I had numb feet. And he mm. said, are you, he just asked me a couple of questions about bowel movements and go to the toilet. He said, okay, because the nerves, sometimes you can die because you don't feel that you will need to go to the loop. Wow. And he said, this is urgent and serious. I need to operate immediately. And he said, I can fit you in maybe one night this week. Oh, my head's spinning. Mm. And he said, but I'm going to definitely do it on Friday. And he operated Friday, took out this growth, which was benign, no, big, big growth. It had been there for a long time and I didn't know mm. living with the pain for quite a while. And that night I wanted to go to the loo and the nurse came in. I said, I need to. She said, well, I'll help you. I said, I stood up. And there was no pain. I said, no, I'm okay. She said, well, hang on tight to everything, you know, when I went in. The next morning I got up and I'm walking around the corridors pain-free after eight months of pain. So that was an eight, That was probably the worst 
of all the things, but it all happened quite quickly. Mm. And so the next day the surgeon came in and he said, do a heel lift. Now, a heel lift is where you stand on your toes because I couldn't do that when I saw him a week before. He said, well, that's good. How's your bowel movements and all that? That's good. He said, you're fine, Don. You go home today. And I said, uh, Professor Albert, can I give you some feedback? He said, yes. I said, to you, this is common practice. You do this a lot. To me, this is a miracle. I can walk pain-free and run. He said, you'll get back to running. And I said, look, if I lived in Bangladesh, Nepal, India, he said, you would be a cripple. Mm. And I said, aren't we lucky to have this health system? Mm. <laughs> wow. It's, it's reliving the experience. Yeah. More dramatic than I ever give, give credit for. I just wash, washes away. But they must have had deep meaning for me because if I'm reliving it now it's, and it's emotional. Mm-hmm. Anyway, he was another good doc because I saw him, I think, after six weeks and he said, get back running but take it easy. And he said, oh, no, I'm wasting my breath telling you that. <laughs> but anyway, and I have come back after that. It was a slow and painful comeback. And uh, I, the Australian Championships were on in March this year and I won the five events that I did. So that's, they're all the events, I suppose. There's not just Mm. one. I think if Mm. I counted them, there might have been five, but I'm not sure. But they all happened sort of one after the other. Mm. And I think I might have mentioned to you, I have a running friend who's a physician. And I was just chatting to him. I don't see him a lot. Uh, He's a well-known runner himself. He's a as a young man, he was Australian Championship, and he was with his son, I think, and he said, we call you the Man of Steel. And I had never, they talk about me behind my back, and I don't know that, and I know that people say, oh, he's a world champion, and I don't want to know about that. To me, it's a bit embarrassing. But and he said, we, yes, we call you, you've had all, and I've, again, that struck me because I hadn't put all these things together like I have for you today. Mm. And uh, he said, anything, whatever happens to you, get over it and you, you always come back. Clearly. <laughs> yes. Wow. I'm, sort of, I'm just sitting here, my head's spinning a little bit, Don, just processing what you've shared. What's, what was the hardest thing? for you to deal with through those injuries and, and those events? Well, I think the thought was um, it wasn't the pain or when the pain was there, that was terrible, but it, I was able to overcome all those things and I was lucky to have all of the medical advice I got from people who understood me, knew what my drivers were. I'm strongly motivated to do well. I got some feedback from a friend who knows a friend. I've never thought of this. And this friend said to me, your friends say you're very, very competitive. I said, oh, I didn't know that. Now, that may not seem that, but I didn't realise that. And another friend said to me, Don, he's a running friend, he said, there's two things about you. One thing is that you're very competitive. That's a good thing. He said, but there's a bad thing about you, and that is that you're very competitive. Mm. 
So my competitive is like can be like a two-edged sword. I'm I'm glad I'm competitive, but I don't see myself as as that wouldn't be a value I would put out there. I would never say that, mm-hmm. but I've had to face the truth that I am and I want to win. It's important for me to win. How relevant or um, important has it been for you to be that competitive person to get through these physical setbacks throughout your life and emotional setbacks? Well, I think what's happened, though, I have a lot of, and they're younger friends, really good athletes. One's an Ironman. He's also one of my coaches. I've got two. And, and I run with a group of younger triathlon trainees. Train, and they're, they're, one of the youngest is 10, so they're 11, 12, 13, 14, 15, 16. And I train with them. And I do well. I don't last. I run with them. Some of them are young girls, younger, and and there are one or two older people, but not many. And he is so positive to me, and he always wants me to, if I'm running, they say, look, there's a world champion. That's a guy who's competitive. Look at him. Now, I'm 78. Oh, I've said it. <laughs> Edit that out. <laughs> but I never... <laughs> I never ever feel like that, and they all high five me. And this guy's my coach. He's in his forties, and he said he went to the world championships in Perth. I was there too, and he was running across country. And he was telling all his young people, "This was only a week ago, or a couple of weeks ago, because I've just finished with COVID, by the way." <laughs> and we were talking and chatting with the young ones because seven of them, his. Seven of his young people had qualified for the Australian Cross Country Championships in Adelaide and they were going. It was a big deal. And he said, mindset, you've got to have the mindset to win. And I'm thinking, oh. Anyway, he said, I didn't have the mindset. And I said, um, Shannon, do you mind if I say something? He says, of course, Don. I said, you know that I was in that World Championships too, don't you? And in my age group, I won. I was world championship. And I was keen to win. And I knew I was going to win from the beginning because it was a flat course. I don't run well up hills. And that sparked an amazing response from all these young guys. They said, we're all high-fiving me, fantastic. And I thought, what? I didn't realise. And so, again, this might not, not sound too humble, but I didn't mean for that response. But they feel inspired by having me there. Now, I'm not there for that reason. I'm there for me. It's lovely and joyful for me to run with those young guys. And I do that every week. And, um, but that coach, he, he, uh, to him to have me there is like an inspiration. And he always wants me to run with the young, the young ones. <laughs> it's beautiful. How important has it been for you throughout the journey to have someone or something to believe in to get through those difficult times? Look, um, I think I believe in myself. I have an attitude, and again, I don't dwell on this, but I just have to say it, I suppose, that my attitude is one that I can get through this. It's not good now. But as through the process I know, and really from experience, that life is hard. You don't know what's around the corner. That's one of my big learnings. I can feel like Superman sometimes. But the learning for me is I am not Superman. The things can happen, they can happen to me tomorrow. Mm -hmm. But I'm not 
wanting it to happen or not thinking it's going to happen. At some deeper level, maybe I overtrain and, and I know that I can, I, I can overdo it. But it's having that mental attitude that life is fragile. You don't know what's ahead. And to have an attitude that's more positive, and I think you know my story about ageing, and I do have a lot of older friends who are older than me and some are my age who appear older because they often say, look, oh, I'm getting older. What's that guy's name? What's that person's name? Oh, I'm getting up out of the chair. And I, I have a reputation. It's not, a good, not always a good one, but I will never tell people my age. If they say, well, do you mind if I ask you how old you are? I'll say, look, I don't tell people my age because I have a philosophy of ageing. If you want to hear that, I will tell you how old I am. And you know that just uh, don't focus on your age at all. Just live life the moment, the sun shining, your running, your friendships, the coffee, and that's what's important. Mm-hmm. I think I might have told you I ran on the Gold Coast <laughs> our introduction before we ever met. And I'm running with two younger women, mm. much younger than me. One was in her 20s. And she said, oh, you're running so well. And I thought that was a bit patronising. It was a 10K race. But I didn't. I said, okay, well, good, thank you. And another younger person who I raced with the whole race. Now, at the end, uh, during the race, this other younger woman, I, I passed her, she came up to me and said, oh, you're running so well. Can I ask you how old you are? And I said, look, it's my birthday. It was my birthday the day before, a bit of a lie. And I said, but I'm 78. And she said, oh, I hope I'm going to run like you when I'm your age. <laughs> so at the end of the race, she came up to me and was so embarrassed and said, look, I'm so sorry. I didn't mean to say that. I said, that's all right. She said, what I meant was you're running so well, but she couldn't figure out herself out at all. And the other woman came up to me and she said exactly the same thing. We didn't speak during the race. She said, do you mind if I ask you how old you are? And I said the same thing. And she said, oh, that's so amazing. And she took a selfie. <laughs> so I, I'm, and whenever I say that to anybody and I do say that, in any of any um, place, whether I'm buying shoes or running shoes or whatever, and my wife just disappears out of the shop. <laughs> <laughs> so it's a mental attitude. Mm. I realise I'm, I'm fragile and things can happen, but I don't really want to dwell on it too much. But in my dark days of injury, uh, those events, that's when the depression comes out again. Mm. It's when I feel that life is hopeless, I'll never be able to do it again. Mm. And what I've learned is those times pass, and it's like the depression that passes. I'm not. I'm a human. Usually, I'm very good human. I'm known for that. I don't tell jokes, but I try to make light of things. Well, that's how you come across to me, and everything that you've shared has just been full of joy and light despite the setbacks that you've had. Um, What strikes me, Don, is that you have this incredible mind, you know, this purity of my strength of mind to really hold fast what's right for you and, and you don't seem to allow others to permeate or change what you believe. And that comes, I think that's reflected by, your competitiveness, in other words, you have this strong belief internally. Your internal nature is just so strong and 
concrete and and like you've said there are you're human too and and yes you you have moments where you have to accept that you're not superman um but most of the time i guess that mindset has is that you are and that you can achieve what you want and it's not about age it's not a, there's no limits and mm. you know what a beautiful example that you set to anybody and for any age i believe well, thank you, and I, I don't like I don't dwell on that thought that you've just expressed because that would that would change me a lot. I think if I thought I was that I was inspiring anybody, I never think that. It's just the joy that I get from being there and competing. And what's important for me, I suppose, if there were some things that I are really important in terms of my own mel- mental health and satisfaction, it's having purpose, a purposeful life. Now that athletics and cycling and my teaching English to beautiful people uh, and to um, doing the things that I do and my mentoring, they're purposeful. And I know I could do more, but they're the sort of things that give me that sense of purpose and having a value set that I've come to realise that others have told me that helping others seems to be something I is important for me. So then I recycle right back to World Vision. Why was I doing that? And even as a naval officer, one of my captains said to me, Don is a a Lieutenant Matheson is a serious young officer. So serious? Okay, I didn't know what that meant then. But I'm a serious person despite the humour who gets the best from his men. So I remember that, and that's a long time ago. I was a young officer then. And it was because my the people I was responsible for, um, it was just the way I handled it, set that leadership was different. Mm-hmm. I really enjoyed yeah. my guys, and, and they're mm-hmm. all men then, although I did teach women too. I had a class full, full of women, women as a young instructor. And... Uh, <laughs> But it was that, and that's what I think comes through that sense of helping others. But I don't ever say helping others. So that's not my language. My language is journeying with others through uh, their life journey and trying to uncover wholeness for people, including mm. myself. Mm. So when I mentor people, when I finish that mentoring session, I feel good. I feel good. That's fabulous. Don, I've got one final question for you as we come to a close, and that is that if there's someone that's listening to your story who's going through any of these challenges similar to what you've been through, is there a piece of advice you'd like to leave them, share with them? Yes, advice is something I don't do. And my joke is that I already mentioned, you take my advice, I'm not using it. So anything I do say... Hopefully I do demonstrate. Um, It's more or less a joke. Look, I think the thing is believing. Now, see, these things don't sound even true to me, but I have to say something, I suppose, and it's sort of having that sense of you can do it, you can overcome what's holding you back. Um, And sometimes it takes effort. Don't be lazy. Because if I want to overcome any of those injuries and all of them, that's taken discipline. 
I'm a disciplined person, disciplined around diet, disciplined about reading. I read a lot and I've read a lot about mature age health. I'm also in a social justice strongly aligned to many things and I read a lot about those. So to me, being involved and having purpose and just trying to see beyond what's holding you back now and if you want to, you can exercise starting small and slowly. But exercise is vital for your mental health. Even if it's, I'm not talking about what I do, I'm talking about, and you can, and I do invite people to join us because our coach and our team, uh, our training team, we have people who could be anybody starting from the beginning, obese, never run before, come and join us because we're inclusive and we want you there. And we have people who have deep depression in our running group. And being because I've experienced that, I know the pain that people experience and that helps me come alongside people. So if you can, become involved in some something that's community-oriented and, and walking in the morning in the, in the beautiful sunshine and, and if you can in nature, and I do that a lot, I'm not always running, mm. and to find friends. Research shows that very few people have more than one or two friends or even one that they can share all their innermost thoughts with. Mm-hmm. And I do have that person. He's much older than I do. I call him my mentor, but he doesn't understand what I'm talking about. But he listens to me. <laughs> Find someone who will listen to you and will not give you advice. I, I don't want to hear advice. I don't want anybody no. to give me advice. I mm. want someone who'll listen and just say, well, gee, that must have been hard. Oh, that's tough. How are you going? You're okay. Are you okay? I love that. And, you know, if I lived in Sydney, Don, I'd be coming to your training group. I can tell you that. <laughs> <laughs> oh, thank you. I want to thank you so much for everything you've shared. I have enjoyed every second of this conversation. I hope you have too. Thanks, Don. And thank you. And, and it's been uh, in some parts emotional, unexpectedly so. I'm not that sort of person generally, but I can cry, and crying is not a bad thing. No. Even for a guy. <laughs> <laughs> I really appreciate you, Don. Thank you. Thanks, Evelyn. Thanks very much. We hope you've enjoyed this episode of Nasugi Heroes. Please like and share the show to your friends so we can get this out to even more people. If you have a story you'd like to share with us, please reach out using the contact details below. Join us next week for our next hero story. Until then, keep being you and remember that we are all heroes in our own unique way.